Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, where we use the 80-20 rule, meaning I do 80% of the work. <laughs> wow. I figured that would get a laugh from you guys. <laughs> Amazing start there. Yeah. yeah. I, I've I, learned not to talk. I, I occasionally, no, 20% like, of the time. occasionally like to say false things on occasion <laughs> just, to be, just to be playful. But no, the uh, power panel is in place. We've got uh, Dr. Peter Capster, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Jeff Verdorn. And that is the team that will answer your questions. Let me know what they are. Text them over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, how are you? Good. We're All doing well. good today. Yeah, good. Nice to see you. And Patrick, or, um, uh, Peter, I'm we're missing you in studio today, but thank you for being on the show, of course. Yeah, such a we ran into some different things as people I'm sure listening know when you have kids, you never know when you're going to have to drive them somewhere. And I found out at half past this hour that I was going to be on driving duty at, to, to some sort of theater cast pool party i'm not sure what's all going on but i'm sure they'll have a blast i'm just the chauffeur yeah nice well again questions can be texted over 877-933-2484 i was reading a story uh, i think it was today on the life of one of the bgs andy gibb i think he died when he was 30 and he had gone through horrific uh drug abuse and but at 19 he became literally an overnight superstar and they just threw money, fame, everything you could throw at him. And he said that he woke up one day and looked in the mirror and, and felt entirely empty. And, of course, we all know that apart from Christ, you are empty. Yep. Um, and I was thinking of the vanity of things like that. And I got this idea this morning. And I thought, I wonder if we can have a discussion on the biblical understanding of vanity, so that was my uh, my thought, just to get us started. Gentlemen, any ideas? Did you want to take the first 80% of that? Or just <laughs> <should> we... <laughs> I, would, I would be happy to. Uh, Rosie, cut the mic. <laughs> no, I'm quite enjoying this. <laughs> well, the, the Hebrew word for, you know, vanity, uh, I think means vapor or breath. It's something that's just, uh, it can be translated meaningless. Yeah. Right? So It's uh, empty. Yeah, it's empty. I think we can learn that from Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So um, let's just talk about just the the biblical meaning of vanity because we all are, and I want to talk about self-absorption too because that's a problem as well. Um, how can you not be self-absorbed when you're a 19-year-old superstar? How can, when everything is about you, how can you not be completely self-absorbed? Honestly, that's the worst thing that could happen I, to you. I think so too, Tom. Because everything comes at you. Everybody's telling you what you want to hear. Everybody's telling you you're the greatest until... They don't get what they want or something goes wrong. Yeah. And then suddenly they don't know you anymore. And the candy store is open and anything in the store you can take. Exactly. No, that's not good. You know, Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? If the entire world is going to be destroyed, burned up, as Peter goes on to say, as Revelation declares, um, where should we store up 
our treasures. Well, oh, Jesus guy has an answer to that, right? He mm-hmm. says, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Um, you know, I think it's Proverbs. It says, pride goes before a fall, haughty spirit before destruction. And I think when when someone receives pain, uh, fame and and wealth and power, um, you know, who, who's the Lord Acton said absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, it tends to corrupt, and you think of yourself too highly. Paul says in Romans 12, do not think uh, more of yourself or too highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of others uh, more greater than than you. So I think this whole idea of self getting in the way of one, of of reaching out to God and seeing yourself as a sinner before a holy God and recognizing your need for salvation in the first place, but also as a believer in Christ, I think self is what gets in the way more often than anything else. It does. So one um, of the dangers I see uh, for parents, especially, is you you get married, you have children, you're excited, and you want them to try a lot of things, and you talk about their future, and they got a big future in front of them, not realizing that the values they put into their children at five and six years old are going to have dramatic impact when they're 50 and 60 years old. And if they don't do that now, but what do we do as parents? We say, well, you know, we want you to go to school. Why? Get a good education. Why? So you can go to college. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can have a nice house. Where does Jesus fit in with all this? I've rarely heard parents say our goal with this child is to make sure they grow up to know who they are in Jesus Christ and understand their purpose for living. And after that, they can be whatever they want to be. And yet that's exactly what Paul says to parents on how we should bring up our children. Bring up your children in training and instruction of the Lord. There is no more valuable training than the Word of God. I have hidden my kids' first Bible verse that they ever memorized at their Christian school was, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think with vanity, and Jeff, you started it out by talking about, um, or at least hinting at the idea that vanity can find its root in in arrogance and people that are thinking of themselves too highly and, and clearly thinking of themselves better than other people. And and that uh, that absolutely exists. Obviously, people that have power or some sort of title, uh, these offices of power, or Bill, you referenced uh, the BGs, that people that, that are famous and uh, and people really do sort of um, hold up the, their garments for them as they're walking and, and they, um, they make sure that they've got an entourage and that all, all their needs are filled. And those people really, I do think, have a level of arrogance about them. But I think that exists in even in mid-level businesses, um, in, in educational systems that exist in the church. There are those people. But I think there's also a flip side to vanity that has to do with an insecurity and people get really self-absorbed um, and they, they, they are always looking for people to, um, to affirm them or they're always uh, looking for people to see them. And that's a more subtle for it's, it's, uh, they're both sad and they're both destructive, but I think that subtle form of vanity where people are insecure and thus they talk about themselves maybe a lot or, uh, they're always looking uh, to jump in on a conversation because they, they feel like they need to have their voice heard in order to affirm something about themselves. Whatever that is, it just it just speaks to the subtlety that when we put ourselves at the center of this story, just how absurd that is, because Ecclesiastes, of course, goes on to, to talk about our lives are just a, a whisper or vapor and, and um, we're here today and gone tomorrow. So th- I think there's a lot of different reasons why we put ourselves at the center of the story that is about vanity. But uh, at the end of the day, the only cure to it is to realize, um, hang on a, a minute, there's a few people in this world beside myself 
um, Jesus died for all of them, like every last one of them, which would mean that uh, they have a value that is that as my own and as a representative then of Jesus who diminished himself for the sake of others. Maybe we should diminish our own arrogance, diminish our own self-absorption and start looking to other people. I Last comment about that. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time I went to bed feeling just so at peace because I let the day completely and totally revolve around me. And, and I've had those days, you know, I really have, but boy, those days where you pour it out and lay it out there for other people, you go, there's a different kind of smile. I think that emerges from that as you're going to sleep. And, and yet for some crazy reason, that's not the life that I tend to le- uh, live day in and day out. See, if I'm the devil, here's what I want to do. I want to push young people, especially I can do this at any age, but I want to push them either down the road of I'm the greatest there is. There's nobody like me. I'm here for a very special reason out of my own self or push them down the road. You're worthless. You don't have any value. You're not going to amount to anything. And I see people on those two paths all the time. And I've worked with a lot of youth uh, being Lutheran. We always had confirmation. So I've done that for 40 some years. When I get these kids at 12 and 14 years old, rarely have I found a child that's going down the middle road which is the narrow one that goes toward Jesus, what I'm getting is I'm nobody and I have no value or, you know, I'm somebody. I don't even have to go through this class. And what it comes down to is getting them on the right path, which is the path of knowing who Jesus is and following him. I think there are there's a teaching within the church in some sections of our church where it is taught that we need to have this high self-esteem. The problem with some people is that they have too low a self-esteem and we need to build them up. We need to give them a higher self-worth and self-identity and so on. Your middle of the road is this idea. Your identity as a Christian is in Christ. Like you said, we we shouldn't have a low self-esteem. We shouldn't have a high self-esteem. We should have a proper self-esteem exactly. or self-image. And that proper self-image is who I am in Jesus Christ. Yep, exactly. Well spoken. And that doesn't change then, right? It's not dependent upon the circumstances of the day Correct. where you can just get teached and chucked around by your success or by your failure, and that's how you feel about yourself. Um, it, it, you, you have a stable identity as that of the beloved, and that doesn't change regardless of what's going on around you. So vanity enters our life, and it brings with it pride, jealousy, and envy, right? So pride might be a little bit more difficult to detect in your life, but jealousy, envy, you can kind of identify that, can't you? Well, that pretty easily comes up. Now, I wouldn't, when I do it, I, I don't call it jealousy or envy. I <laughs> call it, call it looking things the right way, <laughs> really understanding what life's about. And it's not fair what's happening to me. I mean, that's kind of the game we play <laughs> because we, we turn it around. But to really identify it for what it is, it takes a lot of honesty. And it's only when I'm really honest with myself that I'm a jealous person or I'm envious or why does the Lord let that person have all of this over here and I get such little over here. Once I come to grips with the fact that, hey, I'm only talking about me. I've been created for a purpose just like Jeff and everybody else has been created for a purpose. My goal is not to compare myself to Bill or to Rosie or to Jeff, but what is the Lord made me for and what am I supposed to do that will honor him and help people know his love? I think you got to look right Instead of looking at everybody else, we we love to compare ourselves with others around us. And and I think that's the heart of all of these things is when we start comparing ourselves to others. What is, I like to use the example, what if everyone had a billion dollars, would you be rich or not? If everybody had a billion dollars, because wealth, richness is a comparative value, right? Of course. I'm rich compared to everybody. If everybody had zero would you be poor? 
or would you just be like everybody else? I think there's a couple examples in Scripture where it says, hey, stop looking at other people. Remember the parable of the workers in the field where it says that every people who started at the beginning earned a denarius and then people who came midday earned a denarius and the people who came to the end of the day earned a denarius and he pays the last first and they get their denarius and those at the beginning say, hey, we want more than them. It's like, no, you agreed to work for a denarius. You worry mm-hmm. about yourself. Um, so I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on. Stop comparing yourself to others. I think that just leads to problems. You need to understand who you are in Christ. Yeah. Well, if we all had a billion, I would start by asking Peter Kapschner if you'd lend me a billion, then I would at least have, <laughs> I would at least have more than him. Good luck. And then I'd be happy. <laughs> it would be quite clear I'd be poor in that moment. And, yes, uh, you would be. And- if I can just mention just briefly, I know we got to run to break here, but but Parrish, you left me out on that comparative game. Is that because I just bring nothing to the table? I heard you say Rosie. <laughs> no, no, no you, I, I have such. Re- I have, now my self esteem is I, low. I have such respect for you. I didn't want to put you in this mix. Oh boy, <laughs> good well, comeback. <laughs> it is guy talk or guys who talk. Let me know what your questions are. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. wake you up. Just if you're just coming from an afternoon nap, here you are at the afternoon show. And it's Guy Talker, guys, who talk great questions coming in. Thank you for that. I love the questions. Here's a great question. Uh, Let's see. What age or what state of awareness does someone have to be at to be born again? Jeff, I'm looking your direction. Hmm. So my youngest, all three of my kids, by the way, are believe they're grown. They all believe in the Lord and are saved. Uh, my youngest is actually a, a story. And it, it just gets my heart every time I, I say this story. My grandmother had passed away and my youngest Sam was th- like three years old and we were putting him to bed. He was in his chair, rocking chair with his mom. And, and they said their nightly prayers about Jesus. And, and my grandmother, Oma, we called her Oma. And at the end of the prayer, he said, I want Jesus in my heartbeat. <laughs> and it just like, it just melts me, right? Now, did he have a full understanding? It's like, no, of course he didn't. But um, I think he knew that there was something that we had been talking about because my grandmother died of a heart attack. But even though she died of a heart attack, he knew and heard us talking that she was in heaven. And that's what he wanted. When I was born again, I didn't know what I was getting into either, (laughs) and I didn't have the intellect to understand it. And I think this is where we get in trouble in Western Christianity. We want to intellectualize the Bible, where spiritual change comes at the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moves when the Spirit moves. And, um, I mean, I have had literally parents come to me with children that were born with major developmental handicaps and major brain damage and literally ask me, can this my child have faith? And my answer is, of course they can. If the Spirit works faith in them, 
Who knows what can happen? So it's not a matter of just intellect. It's not a matter of just having the right information. It's a matter of when the spirit moves that the heart yields. And you know what? I believe John the Baptist yielded the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth's womb when Jesus came in the womb in Mary's womb. Yeah, this this uh, is it's such a good question. I think it's uh, maybe a surprisingly thorny theological question on on some levels. I know it was about maybe the the fifteenth ish century that the church started wrestling with an idea called uh, the age of accountability, meaning when when did people have, I suppose, the mental capacity to understand the story and uh, however however they're thinking about it. But that really came on the back of um, the ideas of infant baptism and what happens to uh, to people that are not able to intellectually understand the gospel. But then, of course, that's extended out to people who maybe don't have the full capacity of their of their mental abilities. Maybe it's somebody um, who has been born uh, with Down syndrome, although I would uh, argue on the flip side of that, that the people that I've known that have Down syndrome are among the loveliest and most beautiful and compassionate understanding people that I've ever met. Or you could extend it to older in life if people have Alzheimer's disease, that kind of thing. So it really, it's it's such a good question that the listener asked because it has a lot of different dimensions to it. And, and we probably can't answer it entirely in terms of how this works. But I, but I know for sure that that idea of the age of accountability, if somebody wanted to do their own research on it, they could just Google that phrase and they would start seeing some different ways in which the church has tried to think about it over that time. But I, I love the story, Jeff. I mean, what a beautiful thing. I think the heart is able and capable of responding to that which is good in ways that sometimes uh, even surpasses the intellect. Yeah, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And, and he says, unless your faith is like that of a little child. So if it's that simple that even a child can understand, uh, then it, it's got to be pretty straightforward and pretty simple. And I, I always go to the story of the thief on the cross, right, who probably wasn't some great theologian, probably didn't have, you know, the Word of God uh, memorized in some way. He did probably didn't go to seminary. He was a thief. And yet he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into the, your kingdom. He looked to Jesus Christ, who, and even though they were both about to die on the cross— to bring him into this future kingdom. That is simple faith. Yeah. All right, here's another question, gentlemen, regarding the Apostle Creed. Where is it in the Bible that Jesus goes to hell? So the Apostles' Creed uses the word hell. I, it, it, I'd like to change it to the actual place that he did descend to for those three days, and it's called described in Scripture as the place called Hades, um, Hades is always described in Scripture as being below the earth or under the earth. And so when Jesus said, he said, he basically told his followers, I'm not going to give you any more signs. I'm going to give you one more sign, and that's the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so that is where I believe Jesus descended to, Hades, the comfort side of Hades, or paradise. This is the called, also called the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16, where you have the rich man and Lazarus descending into Hades. So I would just simply replace the word hell with Hades. And by the way, he didn't stay there. And he brought everybody on the good side with him up to heaven. And so now the paradise of God is in heaven. And Jeff's exactly right. But here for the modern listener is where it gets tricky. This New Testament never says Jesus rose from Hades. He rose from the dead. And so to put that, understand the realm of the dead in Hades 
in our modern vernacular is pretty much in the same realm, that he truly was dead. He truly died, but he truly rose from the dead. I think is appropriate, and I know many churches that are beginning to change that that use the Apostles' Creed. In fact, really quick, the word in Hebrew for this place is Sheol, and it's called basically translated as the grave or the place of the dead, as you just said. Right. Uh, Peter, you got anything there? Nope. That seemed like it was well covered for my end. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thinking about pictures from the Webb Telescope, if other intelligent life is out there, what does that mean? Would they have had a fall like we as humans did? As a believer, what should our thinking be on this? I know the answer, yeah, but I'll let you guys a, talk. Yeah, <laughs> got a lot I don't, of I don't have any. Yeah, I certainly don't have any any insight into for sure what might be happening with other sentient beings around the universe. But I will say this: um, that is uh, again now a surprisingly common theological question that's coming up. That as we search for life in the universe. Uh, it isn't just simply a biological question, uh, and it isn't simply an origin question. It, it really is a theological question about um, how pervasive or how common sin would be. Um, does it infect the entire universe to the extent that anything that would be living uh, off of planet Earth would also be infected or affected by it? And does that mean that Jesus would uh, – did he die for the universe? It doesn't say anything about that in the scripture, right? And so would that then mean that there needed to be a different redemptive event? I mean these are really interesting questions that go along with the pursuit of um, trying to find out if there is is alternative life in the universe. So when the Pentagon releases the latest UFO files or you hear these Navy fighter pilots uh, – the, their reports have seen objects that they just simply can't understand according to the laws of physics. Um, it really it, – it, it is underpinned by a really significant question about God and the universe and life and sin and faith and, and all of how we think about those things. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out over the next 20 or 30 years. But I don't think that there's anybody that has any reliable information about how to best answer that question right now. Oh, come on now. Let me give it a shot. <laughs> you look at John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, the Greek word is cosmos. We use cosmos for the universe. And why would the Greek use the term cosmos when that really would not fit in this kind of a context unless the writer John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying what Jesus did and what God the Father did in sending his son wasn't just for this world. It was for everyone everywhere. And they're not saying there are people out there but it's for the entire cosmos itself. And he is Lord over the entire cosmos. When the uh, first missionaries went to the South Pacific and South America, they did not ask, I wonder if these people, you know, are included in that message. They went with the assumption that eternity was already in their hearts. So my goal with somebody that come here from another planet, first thing I want to talk to them about is, what do they know about the Savior? And see what they would tell me. We are listening to, that was Pastor Tom Parrish, but Jeff Verdorn and Peter Kapsner are part of the power panel today for Guy Talk. Let me know what your questions are. Send them over, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio has given away the biggest book bundle ever. We're going to deliver them to you via ship, drone, or possibly the U.S. mail. Uh, But all you have to do to get in on the drawing is to go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. This week, uh, we're going to sharpen your parenting skills and if you're looking for answers to hard questions, uh, go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up to win because we got some great books. Also, if you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. You can request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be back in just a minute. Send your questions over. I would love to get more of them. 877-933-2484. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. If you just joined us, you're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and that means they would love to answer your question. I know you got one knocking around your head because you've had it for a while. Maybe you've wanted to ask your pastor. You just haven't had the time or the, he hasn't had the the um, availability. So now you can just send it over here, 877-933-2484. Julie wants to know, what is your favorite author and why? I like C.S. Lewis. And the reason I've always enjoyed C.S. Lewis is that he is a combination of someone of deep faith and deep logic, and he is able to put it together in a way, both in terms of, like, you know, uh, children's stories as well as adults that I think capture people's hearts. And so I've kind of tried to model my writing and thinking along that line. He's hard not to like. Yeah, he is. He makes some of the most brilliant analogies, doesn't he? The ships, the one going astray, and uh, it's just uh, mere Christianity is a, a wonderful work. Um, I actually have a kind of an obscure one. His name is Clarence Larkin, and he was a draftsman uh, who found, he came to faith in Christ and started studying Scripture and started drawing Scripture as he saw it. So he's got a book called Dispensational Truth where he's got, I don't know, 150 different charts that he's drawn out his understanding of the Word of God. And uh, it was written about 100 years ago, and it just amazes me as I go through his book how much I agree with him and his understanding and his doctrines as I read this guy that I never met and uh, wrote 100 years ago. Wow. I want to say, Jeff, you talked to me about that, and there is a book that I was able to download for free from Clarence Larkin. I th- a lot of his charts are available on the Internet. Yeah, I think all. his book is actually available uh, as one of the commentaries on blueletterbible.org, so yeah. blb.org. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. All right, let's see what else we have here. Um, how to introduce God to a lesbian couple? Well, By the way, they're attending church. Yeah. Um, if if the person doesn't think that they are uh, born again, if they are believers, um, I would contend that you introduce Christ to a lesbian couple just as you would introduce uh, Christ to any person who yeah. needs salvation. Amen. Um, every single person in the world, according to Paul, is dead in their trespasses and sins and in need of life. And that life only comes through faith in Christ. Um, so, uh, you know, th- there are a lot of people that have different methodologies or approaches for evangelizing individuals. I think the best method is to evangelize people, right? Um, whether it's friendship evangelism, mass evangelism, or whatever you want to, you know, whatever your approach, whether you want to use the spiritual laws or Romans Road or whatever, the best approach to evangelizing someone is to actually evangelize them, and that is with the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you believe, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you will be born again. It's interesting because being a pastor, um, I've had people come to church that were living together. I haven't run into the situation with with, uh, two gay people or anything. But even if that happened, one of my first goals uh, in them is to, if I, every chance I got, and I'd advise others, that when you get a chance to talk with them after the service, wherever, I would say, by the way, what's Jesus saying to you this morning? 
and begin to get them to think about not what I'm saying, not what the church is saying, not the church's doctrine. What is Jesus saying to you? And I have been amazed over the years at the number of people that come to conviction that what they're doing is not right or they should do something. They have no idea how to deal with it or to get out of it. And that's what I can then give them the invitation, if you'd ever like to know. And that's usually how I do it. I don't say, let me tell you. I would say, if you'd ever like to know, I know there are answers, and I'd be glad to give them to you. And I have people literally grab me and say, I've got time now, if you've got time. So it depends on the situation. I do believe in being very forthright with the gospel, uh, especially when I'm with the dying. I don't mess around. I'm right there. I'm sharing the gospel with other people if they're coming. There's, there's, they've got a, a need in their heart, and I want to unfold that, and I want them to come to confrontation with Jesus, not with me. That's a great point. If they're coming, they're already searching, so it should be even easier. But I think we, we, we as a church get surprised that the lost world is actually out being lost, yeah. that the sinful world is actually out there sinning. I mean, that should not surprise us. Like, you know, when, when Paul says that there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 5 about about uh, expelling the immoral brother, and he says, I'm not talking about the world. If I was talking about the world, you'd have to remove yourself from the world. The world is a sinful place and in need of salvation. That's a great argument, a great discussion. And I love that you, Jeff, suggested that anybody who is outside of the body of Christ would be treated exactly like a person dead in their sins that needs the saving power of Christ. Yep. Yeah, and whatever whatever their sin, uh, I don't really care. So, and once a person is saved, now once they're in the body of Christ, well, then the conversation is going to change, right? Of course it is. Because now you're going to try to equip and encourage and to build that person up to live that life that God has called them to live as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. So that's a totally different discussion. When somebody comes to Christ in most churches, the first thing we want to do is make them a member. I think that's a mistake. I don't think we should try to make people members. I think we should first make them disciples. And discipleship is a longer process looking at the scriptures and applying them to your life and living to become like Jesus. If we can get people to do that, then I don't have to deal with the headaches of leadership that I wind up with in the church that have never been discipled. They've just got their own corporate ideas the way the church should be run. And most pastors run into that all the time, and it's our own fault because we're supposed to disciple people, not merely make them members after they make a confession of Jesus. You know, it's the same thing when somebody famous comes to faith in Christ and the church wants to put them up on stage and have them tell their story and, you know, uh, teach the church and so on. It's like, you know, maybe they need to grow up a little bit in Christ before and be discipled and trained and get to know the word and so on. It's just like the concept of an elder in a church. I've done an exhaustive Greek word study of the word elder in the Greek in the New Testament. Do you know what that word means? Old guy. That's literally what it means, an elder. And I think a lot of churches want the, you know, the young and popular whatever person in, the, in, in their eldership. The, the definition of an elder in Timothy and Titus indicates that you want someone who is mature, older, not young in the faith, has raised their family and has been doing this a long time. And that is a well-matured, discipled Christian. Than it is spiritual maturity. You're absolutely right. I've done the same study. I've got whole things written out on this and charts, and you've hit the nail on the head. Thank you. Hmm. All right, uh, panel, please comment on how you block out the craziness in the world and focus on the close, intimate walk with Jesus and leading others to him. Well, first of all, I'm praying under my breath all the time. I'm praying in my car. I'm praying when I'm with people. 
uh, right here where we're on the program. I will find myself, as others are talking, I'm listening to ask the Lord, help me to understand this, clarify this, give me insight, whatever it may be. I think the problem is the intimacy with the Lord is something we haven't done a good job teaching people. We've talked about a personal relationship, but then we let everybody define what that means. No, the closeness to the Lord means we're in a continual conversation and asking him to help us mature and to listen. Because I'll tell you right now, everything in life is meant to draw me away from Jesus. Everything. And it's always after me. But when I make up my mind, I'm going to focus on Jesus no matter what the surroundings are and do it even under my breath. Uh, it gives me a stability that I didn't have in my early years in ministry. And uh, most of my friends that have left the ministry have literally told me they've lost that stability in Jesus. They lost that confidence because they weren't hearing from him. And I asked them, how much are you talking to him? Well, I'm not. I'm I'm waiting to hear from him. It doesn't work that way. You know, there are lots of distractions in this world. I mean, everybody has their own personal distractions. What What attracts their eye? away from that simple devotion of Jesus Christ and um boy from you know food to music to to cars to wealth to you know whatever it is um i have some anchor points in my life that i i talk about with others and these are my small groups my teaching uh classes when i am preparing a, a lesson and teaching that lesson in a in a church environment in my small my sunday class my monday class. I got a small group on Monday, a small group on Tuesday. Um, these are my anchors in my life that if I get distracted during the week, then I've got this weekly and, and Sunday morning for a half hour, or 45 minutes or an hour or something, it's just not enough to keep you anchored in the Lord. And so if, if you don't have a small group, if you don't have an individual time in which you're studying the word of God and, you know, daily or close to daily, you will drift away from the Lord, and and these distractions will get the better of you. All right, here's a question. First of all, a quick comment from my wingman, Terry. He said, one of Jeff Redorn's favorite authors is one who produced a book on biblical charts. I love it when the world makes sense at times. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right, here's another question. An old co-worker of mine told me that when God said that man shall not lie down with another man. He thinks God was only referring to sexual promiscuousness. I believe that would be an example of perverting the gospel. Would you agree? Wait, wait, so he's saying that's right or wrong? No, I no. I I think he was using this as an attempt to support gay marriage. That that it, uh, an old co-worker said to him that that when God said that man shall not lie down with another man. He thinks God was only referring to sexual promiscuity. Oh, so if they're really in love with one another and they're really committed to one another, then, of course, it's it's okay because it's love. There that is go. the modern vernacular. Yeah. That's what's being taught everywhere today. That is not biblical vernacular. The Bible, when it talks about lying down with another man, it doesn't matter how much you think you love that person or not. It is, and I'll be just be honest, it is an abomination of the Lord. The Lord says, don't go there. That is not the place you want to be. And um, if you do, you'll pay a price for it. And so I would tell this individual or talk to them and say, no, it's not dealing with promiscuity. It's dealing with plain old sex. And no matter how you feel about that person. You know, I think it's clear in uh, various passages, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that God designed the marriage relationship as a man and a woman. And I think the church needs to stand firm on that because it's being attacked. 
Um, and sexual immorality, biblically, is sexual activity of any kind outside of that marriage relationship. So it doesn't matter if it's if it's done in love with someone of the opposite sex or in love or in lust with someone of the same sex. It, it doesn't matter. It's all sexual immorality to God. Sex outside of the biblical relationship of a man and a woman is sexual immorality. And it's not just one passage, no. right? It, we could we could go through multiple passages in which God describes this activity as being sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't realize is that as a pastor, I not only see these people before they get into these relationships and then have some contact when they're in these, but I get to see them afterward. And, you know, your news, your TV shows, your stars aren't going to talk about the damage afterward or the kind of broken lives many of these people have. We never hear a word about that, and it's just as prevalent as the other end, but nobody's talking about it. All right, here's a question, Jeff. I'm looking your way. Hmm. Will Jesus enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate on his second coming? He will. Actually, this is a prophecy in the Old Testament that he will enter uh, through that gate. Um, and, and there was actually an Ottoman ruler, and I'm, I'm, I can't remember the name of the guy or the precise year that he did it. He sealed up that gate, mm-hmm. and it remains sealed to this day because there was a rumor going through Jerusalem that the Messiah was getting ready to return. So he's had it sealed up. And if you look uh, you know, as if you're standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Kidron Valley back to the Temple Mount area, this eastern gate that's there is still sealed up to this day uh, from that event. Um, now, some rocks are not going to to uh, hinder the returning Jesus, uh, but Scripture actually says that he will return through the eastern gate. And I don't have the reference off the top of my head, but I could look it up over break. All right, we will do that. We will go to break and we come back. Lots more guide talk. Just so you know, coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, Susie Larson is going to join me. She's got a brand new book called Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. She'll be my guest for the full hour, and I think we're giving away a bunch of books in that hour, so don't go anywhere. Again, let me know what your questions are for the Guide Talk, 877-933-2484. We lost Dr. Peter Kapsner. He had to take off, but Jeff Dorn and Tom Parrish are my guests. Let me know. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Power Panel, Tom Parrish, Jeff Ferdorn. Great questions coming in today. Thank you for sending questions. Great ones coming in. So I appreciate that. All right, here's one. Uh, would you guys uh, have an explanation for all the shootings, school shootings, mass shootings, high murder rates in America in general? I think it's very obvious. We have lost our reverence for the Lord. We have removed him from every public institution. We have told him we don't want him interfering in our lives. And we are giving human beings the ability to believe that they're God. And so as a result, people are doing some of the craziest things we've ever seen in history. And it will continue until, quite honestly, people do some serious repenting, get on their knees and cry out to Jesus for help. 
you know, we could walk through some of the degradation of society, uh, our educational system, what we are teaching about self and so on. We could talk about drugs and some of the, the, the medicating of our children for, you know, simple misbehaviors and, and ADD and so on. And, and not that there isn't a role for drugs in some severe psychological cases, but we're, we're, we're putting drugs in our kids at, at, at a rate that we've never seen before, and I think it's having an impact. We can talk about all of those kinds of factors. Fatherlessness, we could talk about, and how many kids are born out of wedlock, and, and we could probably list off 50 factors in society that are leading. But Tom's got, he hit the nail on the head. It, it, we have a God problem in this country, and as we've kicked out God, I think we've seen some of the consequences in our, in our culture. All right, here's another comment. Given that Genesis 2 makes man plus woman explicit and that the law has been fulfilled in Christ, is our reliance on Leviticus warranted or wise and why? And I don't know exactly what he means by reliance, but the design of a man and the woman for marriage is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in God's design in the garden. It's in the law, but it's also a principle that we see uh, in the New um, so I believe as Christians, New Testament Christians at, on this side of the cross, that we are no longer under the law. Paul says this about a dozen times, that he's not under the law. We're under grace. And so we aren't, he said, reliant on the law. The principle is still there, even though we're not under the law of Moses, if that makes sense. I agree. The law itself, uh, Ten Commandments, all the laws there, good things. However, they won't get you one inch closer to salvation. Jesus' shed blood gets you the salvation. Now, after that, the law becomes a guide, becomes a way of living. And it's a very healthy way of living. Think if we actually live by the Ten Commandments. Uh, it would be a different world. They're good for us. They're good for us. But they are not the basis of salvation, and we don't push them as that. We only recognize that we have to do them. Well, we recognize them, first of all, that we can't do them. And then we need a Savior. And then once we know the Savior, we do them now out of thankfulness. You know, I love the line, I think it's in Galatians 3 or 5, where Paul says the purpose of the law today now is to lead people to Christ. And you go, well, how is that? Well, when you see the law and you compare your life against God's standards, you realize, hey, I'm falling short, and hopefully then realize your need for a Savior. Exactly. So I'm just looking through some of the questions here, and I don't have one quite yet, so talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that, Jeff. I think you're onto some good stuff here. <laughs> Should we break into like you know, song? The, the reality, or though, is this. Jesus is always the focus of the Bible. And the problem is Satan wants us to take us to any other focus at all possible. And so it may be the law. It may be our rituals. It may be doing certain things. It may be believing certain things in certain ways. But so long as we keep our eyes off Jesus, devil's got us. When our eyes are on Jesus and we're listening to him, it's amazing how we begin to see people, life, and purpose from a whole different perspective. And just to carry this just a little bit further when Paul says we're not under law— it's like, I think there's a lot of people who want to live in kind of a rules-based environment. Sure. It's just like, just tell me what I need to do or not do, and that's what I'll live by. And and Paul clearly says we're not under the law. And in fact, it he makes it clear that the law made nothing righteous, as you talked about. No one was ever saved by obeying the law. And now in the New Testament that we've been saved through faith by grace, uh, Paul says we're not under the law. Well, then how do we live and the, the answer is, as Paul says, we live by faith. 
If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I like to describe it. God gave Israel the Old Testament law as this guide to govern their lives because it was good for them, like you just said, Tom. And that was, But that was an external set of rules to govern Israel. Today, we as Christians, born-again Christians, have the internal spirit by which to live by. Now, I know that's a little bit more nebulous, if you will. Uh, well, what does it mean to live by faith? Well, that's what much of the New Testament exhorts us to do. Um, so anytime you start kind of returning back to the law, I think Paul was clear in Galatians 3 where he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself in the flesh by obeying the law? Exactly. Good word. Now, does the Bible say to believe in yourself? You know, this whole thing of following your heart and you do you and love yourself. And these are some of the catchphrases. Does the Bible... What does the Bible have to say about believing? I wonder what in the yourself. Bible does say. I think it says no. <laughs> <laughs> the the issue for the Bible is not self gratification, building yourself up, discovering how good you are. It's discovering how desperately you need Jesus in your life, how desperately you need the will of the Lord working in your life, and how you need to live your life for Jesus and to the benefit of others and bless them. And when we do that, uh, then we are reflecting the Lord and we are really caring for other people. But when it's all about me, boy, I'll tell you, that's a tough one. You know, it really is. Quick story. My oldest uh, was in eighth grade at a Christian school and they had watched this teaching on uh, Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water to meet Jesus. And then he started to sink because the waves and stuff. And the commentator that they were listening to said, why did Jesus start to, why did Peter start to sink? And it's, he said, his answer was, because he didn't believe in his himself enough. He Ooh. didn't have enough faith in himself that Ooh. he could walk on the water. And my son gets in the car and he starts telling me about this. And he goes, dad, that doesn't sound right. And it's like, well, very good, Jacob. Let's go home <laughs> yep. and let's look up this phrase where Jesus then says, oh, you of little faith, yep. right? And he says that a couple times. Peter, like you were just describing, took his eyes off of Jesus. Yes. Right. That was his issue. It had nothing to do with him believing that he could do something. It had everything to do with his faith in the one who was standing before him. Exactly. All right. This uh, comes from Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23. And it says, we were having a conversation in small group. I believe God gives us spiritual gifts. This is part of the conversation. But if we wander and stray from him, we still have these gifts, but he will say, I don't know who you are. Curious as to your thoughts. Yeah, I'll start here. This is this is where it says, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a lot of Christians who believe that, oh, I don't ever want to hear that from my Lord. I'm afraid that I might someday hear this word, depart from me, I never knew you. I contend that Jesus is not speaking to true believers in that line. If you go up a few verses before, he, in verse 15, he actually des- describes who he is speaking to, and that is false prophets. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them, the false prophets, by their fruits. Um, 
and and so on. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone will, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will unto the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. He is speaking at that moment of these false prophets. So if you are a true believer in Christ, you will never hear the words from Christ, depart from me, I never knew you. And you bring up such a good teaching point with the Word of God. And this is how you're honest with the Word of God. You got to go and read before what it says and read afterward what it says because you're dealing with thoughts that are put down on paper that are complete biblical thoughts. But oftentimes it's kind of like, you know, I walk into my wife on the telephone. I don't know what the conversation is she's having. I'm only hearing part of it. Same problem here. And too often we take that one verse and we want to make a doctrine out of it or we're bothered by it when we shouldn't be. Go back 10, 12, 15 verses and see what it has to say. Now, he said something about spiritual gifts or losing spiritual gifts, I think, was part of that as well. That's kind of a different question. Can you lose spiritual gifts? Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 are kind of where all these spiritual gifts are described. One of the important aspects of all the spiritual gifts, whichever one you're talking about, is that they are given by the Spirit as He determines. Yes. So I know some try to teach or, you know, impart spiritual gifts. It's God who gives them as the Spirit determines, and and that's it. Um, I don't know that there's any guarantee. While there's a guarantee that He won't take His Spirit from you, as a New Testament believer, I don't think there's any guarantee that spiritual gifts might come and go throughout your walk with him. So do you, do you have anything to add on that, Tom? Uh, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, that's all the time we have for Guy Talk. I love this comment that just came in, and I think this is a nice way to end. Um, Dave said, just got to say, Guy Talk is the highlight of my week. Love you guys, even Peter. Oh, bless you. It doesn't say that. It does say that. Oh, yeah, with a big, smile, that. A big smiley we, face. We really too. love Peter, too, honestly. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. Well, we thanks, do. Dave. Thanks you very much. And thank you for another uh, great time together. And this uh, is, we're going to pick this up next week. But for now, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, Strong in the Battle Why the Humble Will Prevail. That's Susie Larson's new book, and she's my guest. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.